So let's open up our Bibles and let's, let's get ready to read what the, what the Scripture would say to us, what God would say to us today. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 50. You ready, Justice? You ready? You think so? That's good. Isaiah chapter 50. On Sunday night, last Sunday night in Loon Lake, the Lord had given me a word for a, a man who's a member of our church there. <clears throat> and, and most of the time when you have a word for somebody, that's for them and that's the end of the story. Uh, but something interesting happened this week. There are times where you will, you know, have a word for somebody and it sticks with you and you think you have a word for somebody else and it turns out. God uh, is doing more than just you thought. And so this, this chapter stuck with me particularly um, all throughout the week as I was praying for this service. And I, became, I began to be aware that it was not just for me, but it was for all of us. And probably more than ever, we need to hear uh, how to be disciples, how to be those that hear before we speak. Amen. <laughs> You know, we, we want God to hear our prayer, don't we? Does anybody here want God to hear your prayer? Does anybody here believe that God answers prayer? You believe that there's power in what you say? Mm-hmm. You know, it would be a, I think for most of us, if we were to ask the Lord, God, I want there to be more power behind my words. That would be a dangerous thing for us to ask. Because some of us are so loose with what we say. Some of us are so loose with what we say and our opinions are, are as numerous as the sands of the seashore. You know, the book of James says, each one must be slow to anger, slow to speak, and quick to hear. How many of you believe that you're slow to speak? And it's okay to be honest if you feel you're slow to speak. You feel you're slow to speak. So the kids got it. So some of the kids feel that they're slow to speak. Hunter, I think you are slow to speak. I, 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 I've noticed that about you. He's a thoughtful one, isn't he? I got to admit, yeah, there are times where I, I you know, you feel like you got to have an opinion about everything. You got to feel you got to say this and you got to say that. But you know, we are, we are the people of God. We are the people of God. We are not, we're not just, just random people that are gathered in a building. We're not just random people that, that somehow show up and talk about stuff. We are the people of God who are expected not just to someday get our act together in the sweet by and by, but we are expected right now to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ? That means you're his representative right here on the planet. Now, if I'm going to be representing Jesus, I better, I better be careful what I say. Do you know Jesus was the one who, who said, I don't say anything unless the Father says it first. And we take our cue from him, the Master. And I want you to read something with me in Isaiah chapter 50, because this is really speaking of Jesus. Isaiah 50 and verse 4. It says, the Lord God, or, or literally the Lord Yahweh, has given me the tongue of disciples. I still hear flipping. I'll let you get to Isaiah. <laughs> we might have the tongue of disciples. We don't all have the flipping speed of disciples. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples. The King James says the tongue of the learned. It's a Hebrew word which means somebody who's been taught, somebody who's been trained. Now, here's the deal. 
I think there's a ton of us here who would say, I don't think my tongue is the tongue of somebody who's been trained. A lot of us would say, I, I don't have the training this person has, or I don't have the, the, uh, the teaching this person has, I don't have the wisdom that this person has. But do you notice here, he says, the Lord gave me the tongue of a disciple. I didn't earn it. I didn't learn it. The Lord gave me the tongue of a disciple. That means what you say has wisdom behind it because you're not using your wisdom. You're using the wisdom of the one that teaches you. A disciple by nature is one who's willing to be taught. So many people in our society, and I've been one of them, are are, are more interested in having something to say than hearing what we should say. He says, the Lord has given me the tongue of a disciple. In order to be a disciple, you got to have a teacher, right? He's given, me, he's given me the words of somebody who's been taught. And he says that I might know how to sustain the weary one with a word. That grabs me in particular. Because all throughout our day, we come across a lot of weary people. And you'll come across weary people who don't know Jesus. And you'll come across weary people who do know Jesus. And when we talk about sustaining, we're not just talking about surviving. We're talking about bringing life to somebody who's about to wilt. We're talking about bringing life to somebody that's about to give up, somebody that's about to quit. How do we do that? Do we give them the old there, there? Do we give them some inspirational cliche quote we found on a teddy bear at Versus? Or do we give them something that we didn't come up with? Do we really speak to them words that are going to give them life? The Lord has given me the tongue of disciples that I might know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. So in order to speak like a disciple, you have to listen like a disciple. If you can't listen like a disciple, you can't talk like a disciple. You realize if you went to university and you went in your first class, and you uh, put your headphones on, and you just started talking while the professor was talking the whole time, there would be very little you'd get out of that lecture. In fact, if you did that every time you came to class, I don't think you'd leave university educated, would you? You might felt like you had the university experience, but you didn't listen to a word that was said if you spent the whole time talking. He says, in order to speak as a disciple, my ears have to be awakened. Now, here's the reason your ears need to be awakened. Because in the world, we're not trained to listen to to him. We're not trained to listen to the Lord. We're trained to say whatever comes up. You know, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And unfortunately, our hearts are often revealed by what we say. And so we, we say whatever comes to mind, or we say whatever we saw the guy on TV say. And we're quick. When in fact, we should be slower to speak and quick to hear. He says, he awakens my ear. And so this is my prayer. And I wonder if it's yours. My prayer has been this. Lord, awaken my ears as a disciple to hear what you have to say. Awaken my ears. Because until my ears are awakened, I can't speak like a disciple. And if I can't speak like a disciple, how am I supposed to sustain the one who is weary? Because you can give them a pep talk. 
You, you, can, you can go back to the last good football movie you saw and give them that halftime speech, but in reality, that's only going to give them a shot of adrenaline. That's not going to sustain them. If somebody's drowning of thirst in the desert, do you give them a picture of, like a, a picture of water from a magazine? Look at this tall glass of water. Does that, make you, does that help you? No, it doesn't help them. What do they need? They need water. They need something real. Do you, do you, do you just grab a, a glass with some sand in it and say, you know, good enough, close enough, it's in a glass. You should be happy. See, the water of life that refreshes, the water of life that brings life can only come from the Spirit of God. I spoke to a, a young man at, at, at the camp who had believed that God was calling him to write songs, specifically uh, um, like rap. This was his thing. And, and so we were talking about it. And I, I asked him this question. I said, do you like drinking jacuzzi water? And like a, a sane person, he said, no, I don't like drinking jacuzzi water. That's disgusting. I said, would you rather drink jacuzzi water or would you rather drink from a fresh spring? He says, a fresh spring, of course. Here's the point. The world out there right now, and, I, and we talked about this, that out there all the songs are being written. I mean, all the stuff that's coming out, it is just a recycle of old thoughts. It's a recycle of emotion. It's recycling all these things, and it's not giving life to anyone. But the, the, what, the words that are going to bring life, the songs that are going to bring life are going to come from that wellspring of life, from that spirit of God that will bring refreshment to somebody that needs it. And just as that encouraged that young man to say, all right, I'm not going to write from just trying to be like this person. I'm not going to write from just experience. I'm going to write from the Spirit of God. I'm going to draw from the well of God. So you have to train your ear to hear a voice other than your own. If we were quiet right now and I just said, tell me what you hear, most of us, well, I mean, I'm talking to believers, but Let's just assume this is the first time you ever walked into a church building, the first time you ever heard somebody talk about Jesus. If we were to close our eyes and we were to just listen, most of us would hear our own thoughts. It's a new experience to begin to hear the voice of God. You know, there are a lot of, you know, a lot of times you get, first get saved and you think your thoughts are the voice of God. You learn the difference, Right? And, you know, one of the greatest tools, I mean, the greatest tool to, to learn the difference is this right here. Because the Word of God, the Bible says, is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it can divide between joint and marrow, between soul and spirit. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. So if you can't figure out, is that my brain speaking or is that God speaking, hold it up to the Word. Because the Word will divide between your soul, that's your brain, and your spirit. That's where God's speaking. And he'll use his word to confirm. He'll use his word to, to tell you things about yourself you didn't even know. If we hear the word of God, we learn the voice of God. And so he says, he awakens my ear. And so this is your prayer today. Lord, awaken my ear. And you need to have him awaken your ear before he awakens your mouth. I know that's not a popular thought, but it is true. Lord, awaken my ear before you awaken my mouth. You ever met somebody whose mouth works faster than their brain? I've met people that have like master's degrees and say the most airheaded things. And I wonder how that happens. 
Because it's not because of their lack of education. It's not because of their lack of intelligence. These people are very smart. But they just talk so, so much. They don't have time to think about what they're talking about. We were with a friend of ours, and she'll never hear this message, so don't, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I wasn't there. Brent was there. And they were watching a, a movie that had a sword fight. And, and a sword hit the wall. And a spark flew. And she said, they didn't have electricity back then. <laughs> and there was a guy on a boat. And Brent made the joke. Correct me if I'm wrong, Brent. Brent made the joke. Wouldn't it be funny if a shark came out of nowhere and bit the boat? And she said, they didn't have sharks back then. <laughs> it's a university girl. Very smart. Mouth was working faster than the brain was working, right? Well, sometimes our mouth works faster than our brain, and our brain works faster than our spirit sometimes. Listen, just because you thought about it doesn't make it right. In fact, sometimes you get yourself more wrong the more you think about it. Do you realize that, all the, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts? If his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that means it, when I tell you to be slow to speak, it doesn't just mean think about it before you speak, because you might still be way wrong. The more we think about it, I could get further in the, in the ditch. What do we got to do? We got to hear the voice of God. Awaken, Lord, awaken my ear as a disciple. Awaken my ear to hear. And if you're here today and you say, I don't know the voice of God. I, I don't know if I've heard the voice of God. I promise you. I promise you. If you, it's your desire to be a disciple taught of the Lord, then he will be faithful. The Bible says, call unto me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. He didn't pick out special people. He said, call unto me. He's speaking to his people. Call unto me. I will answer you. I love that. I will answer you. He doesn't say call unto me and there's a good shot I'll answer. He doesn't say call unto me and we'll see if I answer you. He says call unto me and I will answer you and I'll show you great things that you don't know. I'm reminded of another prophet who said I will, I'm going to get myself on top of a hill. I'm going to look out and I'm going to wait and see what the Lord has to say. And I'm going to hear what he has to say. Then he says... And I'm going to listen to how I should respond when he says what he says. Well, that trips me out. Not only do I have to hear what God has to say, I need to hear what I should say to what he had to say. Is that a little bit too much thinking for you right now? We have to hear what he has to say, and then we have to hear what we have to say back to him. But this is the effective way to pray. It's not just the effective way to pray, because today we're not just talking about prayer. We're talking about life. We've got opinions. How many of you have some strong opinions about some things? It's good to admit this. It's good to get this out. Strong opinions aren't necessarily a bad thing. They're a bad thing when we elevate them to idle status and when we think we're always right. That's a problem. If you can't be humble about it, that's a problem. What does he say? He awakens my ear as a disciple. Let's read the next verse in verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear. And I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I'm not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. 
So from this, we can, we can recognize right away he's talking about Jesus, right? He's speaking about Jesus. We see that he's talking about Jesus himself, whose beard was plucked out, who was spit on. And Jesus goes ahead and says that if he wanted to, he could have asked the Father, and the Father would have sent angels to come and wipe these guys out, legions of angels. But what does he do? He keeps his mouth shut. He's before Herod. Is there any lawyer on the planet that could have been better than Jesus? No. Yet he gets up there and he says not a word. Because the only words he was going to say were the words that the Father gave him to say. And we heard those words on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We heard those words when the soldiers came to arrest him and they said, who is this guy Jesus? And he said, I am. We heard those words when, when Herod tried to get him to entrap himself. And all he said is, I am he. It is as you say. This is our God. He, I mean, if anybody had the right to talk, it was Jesus. But he was the one who knew. He awakens my ear. He trains my tongue as a disciple. I want to read you what Jesus said in John chapter 5. And then we'll turn over to, to uh, 1 Kings. But John chapter 5. This will be very familiar to most of you. You know this verse. John 5, verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Jesus says, I can't do anything on my own initiative. Do you think he was physically unable to do anything on his own initiative? No, he could have done something. He could have disobeyed. But to him, that wasn't an option. I can't do anything on my own initiative. Then he says, as I hear, I judge. Now, in the larger context, we're talking about the judgment. He's talking about the Father's judgment. He's talking about... The end, the judgment at the end, but he's also speaking and he's giving us a clue into how he hears from God. Because he says, as I hear, then I judge. Do you realize there are times where you hear something from God and you still don't know what to do with it? You ever got, anybody ever give you a word from the Lord and you were no more enlightened than than five minutes before they gave it to you? In fact, you might have been more confused about it. How many times have you heard God say something and you knew it was from God, but you had no idea what to do with it? There's two stages in hearing from God. There's hearing, and then there's judging what to do with it, or what it means. And Jesus says, the reason you can trust my judgment is because I don't seek my own will. As, as one of my fathers in the faith said so clearly, he said it this way, only the unbiased can truly know the will of God. I'll just give you a newsflash. None of us here are naturally unbiased. We've got biases. You just got to admit you've got biases. But only the unbiased, only the people that are willing to get into that prayer room and say, I am ridding myself of my opinions for a minute. I'm, get, I'm laying my will down and I want to hear what you have to say. 
I remember Lori Harris was talking to us in the office there. Many of you know Brother Tracy Harris. His wife, Lori, said, she said, I've gotten to the place. And now these are wonderful man and woman of God, people that have ministered all over the world, people that have walked in the power of God, people that you'd say are pretty mature believers. And she said, it's only now in my life that I'm learning. I don't need to have an opinion. In fact, I'd rather not have an opinion about everything. She says, I want to hear his opinion. It'll change your life. It'll mess with your conversations, but it'll change your life. Do you realize every time somebody asks you what you think about something, you are not obligated to tell them what you think about something? I know that sounds weird. What do you think about Donald Trump? Softball. That's an easy question. But uh, I don't know. I mean, unless I, I mean, I'm not saying you guys are just going to go through the rest of your life not saying a word, but I'm saying there are just certain things there's certain things you got to have an opinion on. I can ask you, do you like vanilla ice cream? And, and Naomi doesn't need to go to the Lord in prayer and find out if she likes vanilla ice cream. I could say, Chance, is your wife a good wife? And he doesn't say, let me pray about that. I don't have an opinion. There are obvious things. You are allowed to have an opinion about things. But there are some things that we just need to shut up about. There's some things we don't know what God knows. And we just need to hear his voice. What if I were to say this, Chance, what do you think about, um, I, I, what I really want to know, Chance, what I'm really digging to find out is, is you know how, this, notice how Tony, we're going to talk about Tony, you notice how, how Tony prayed the other day, you know, and he kind of prayed, he kind of like had an accent or something when he prayed, but he, he prayed kind of funny, and I, I'm just curious what you thought about that. Chance... This isn't true. Tony doesn't pray with me. I pick on people that I know could take it. Chance doesn't have to have an opinion about that. If I say, do you think this person should get married? I'm not talking about you anymore. You should get married. I'm not. You say, do you think these people should get married? Unless the Lord spoke, and he might not make it any of your business, you just say, I don't know. Happy for him. You don't have to have an opinion about everything. Here he says this. I hear and I judge because I don't seek my own will. I know people that hear from the Lord but are incredibly opinionated. I know that don't, people that don't hear from the Lord and are incredibly opinionated. One of the things we're learning is to say, Lord, awaken my ear and train my tongue. Awaken my ears, train my tongue. And I want you to see what Solomon says in 1 Kings chapter 3. What's Solomon known for, guys? Tell me. Wisdom. That's what he's known for. I would have also accepted lots of wives. The guy who writes the first, what, 12 chapters of Proverbs, mostly talking of, I mean, he wrote most of the Proverbs, if not all of them, but the first like 12, 13 chapters are all about adultery. This from a guy who's got 700 wives. I, th- I, think, I don't think he could have committed adultery if he tried. I think... Have we, have we married before? It feels like, I, feels like I met you at the altar once. Are you... Not one of my wives, what about one of my concubines? I got lots of those. 
We're going we're gonna to just go know him by wisdom. That's better. Do you know those wives were not a result of wisdom? Those wives were a result of his own attempts to build political power. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I want you to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Kings chapter 3. Solomon said, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant, David, my father. According as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. Yet I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of the people which you've chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. And God said to him, because you've asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand judgment, justice. Behold, I've done according to your words. Behold, I've given you a wise and discerning heart so that there would be no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I will also give you what you've not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will, be no, uh, no, there will not be any among the kings like you in all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments, as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Now, a lot of us see that we go, well, he asked for wisdom, but really what he asked for here in my translation, it says an understanding heart. But if you look it up in the Hebrew, he asks for this. Lord, give me a hearing heart. A hearing heart is what he asked for. You know, Solomon didn't ask for brain power. He didn't ask that I could win trivial pursuit. He'd say, Lord, I want, I want to be the best at Jeopardy. He didn't say, I want to have the, the, fastest, the fastest mind. He says, I want to have a hearing heart. The wisdom of Solomon that we rant and rave about is not the wisdom of his brain. It was the wisdom of hearing from God. A heart that heard, a heart that discerned. And God gave him wisdom and a discerning heart. So you think when he, when he had that judgment, when he had that, those two women with the, with the one baby they're fighting over, you might say, well, he had a, a smart idea on how to, how to judge that matter. But I'll tell you the truth of the matter. He had the wisdom of God working in him because he was able to hear. Lord, give me a hearing heart, and God rewards that. Now, here's the problem with Solomon is that he gets into his reign, and he tries to do on his own what God accomplished. He tries to sustain through his own ability what God made happen in his ability. So God gave him a kingdom. His father had passed on to him a great kingdom because his father knew how to hear from the Lord. His father had alliances with kings all over the place. The temple was built with materials, many of which had to come from other nations, that were donated because those people loved David. So Solomon had been given great wisdom to rule this great people. But you know what he starts doing? He starts saying, I'm a wise guy. I, I mean, look what I've done. Look what I've got. So I'm going to 
Use some of this wisdom and I'm going to create some political alliances. God didn't tell him to do that. He says, I'm going to take some wives. Now, Solomon didn't have that many wives because he just really liked women. He had that many wives because every one of those was a political marriage. If I marry the princess from this country, if I marry the king's daughter from this country, then we'll have peace with all these countries. He tried to make happen through his own strength what God could have made happen in his strength. And if God had done it, it would have been sustained like it was through David's reign. But with Solomon, what happened? He gave, he gave himself, he, he, he not only married these women, but he tried to keep them happy. Thank God I've got a wonderful wife. She's not hard to keep happy. We, we love each other. We, we, we make each other very happy. I can't imagine trying to keep 700 women happy. I can't imagine it. I don't want to think about it. It's not something I have to deal with, but you would need the wisdom of God. But at that point, he doesn't have the wisdom of God. He has the wisdom of Solomon. And guess what, guys? The wisdom of Solomon is not all it's cracked up to be. So what does he do? Wife number 375 says, you never come with me to worship my God. So are you going to finish my eggs or no? Okay. I guess I'll go, you know, and he goes, and then he worships this God, he worships this God, and he gives his heart to idols. And sure, he keeps his kingdom while he's alive, but when he dies, his kingdom is split. And here's another thought. Many times we rely on God when we know we don't. Look what he said, I'm but a child. This is what he says to the Lord. I'm but a child. Who am I to rule these great people? That humility was the key to receiving from God. The Bible says he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. See, when we say, I need you, he says, okay. But the problem is, a lot of us, you know, we, we come into the kingdom of God like babies, and we don't know anything, and we're just like, God, I need you. I don't know any better. I'm stupid. I, I need help. I need help. I need help. And he gives you help. Then you start doing it for a while, and you figure you figured it out. I know what to do now. Do you know how hard it is? Some of you do. How hard it is to be a preacher? When you first come to the preaching, when you first start preaching, you would rather everybody just forgot that there was a service and stayed home because you're so nervous. I'm not everybody, but me, I was, oh, I don't want to get up in front of people. And I remember Saturday nights were torment. Saturday nights I was crying out to God, God, I need help. Give me something. Well, he was faithful. I probably didn't need to be so desperate about it. But I, I just needed him. But you can preach long enough that you get good at preaching. And you can get good at preaching and just leave God in the back room and still have some people think it was okay. But I don't know about you. I don't want a service like that. And then the same thing. I'm using myself, but in whatever you do and whatever God's called you to do, He's going to get you where, you're, where you need to be through his wisdom, through his voice. He's going to lead you. But you got to hear and you got to keep hearing. Do you know when Jesus got, stepped into his ministry, he said the same things in year three that he did in year one. I can't do anything on my own initiative. If I don't hear him say it, I'm not going to say it. And when I hear it, I'm going to judge without an opinion. I'm going to just judge unbiased. Lord, awaken our ears. Awaken the tongue of a disciple. Give us the tongue of the learned. Give us the tongue of somebody that's been taught. 
Some of you might say, I don't, I don't speak well. I, I don't know how to talk to people. I don't, know how to, to, I don't know how to say the right words at the right time. And that's okay. Because God does. If we would say, Lord, give me the words to say. Train my tongue. I think one of the first steps to, having, to training your mouth is to stop talking. When you learn how to stop talking, then you can learn how to start talking. When you unlearn, when you unlearn the need to always have an opinion, and you learn the need to hear what he thinks. I'll tell you, this is sometimes difficult. But if you want to have the word that will sustain the weary, it's not your best advice. It's not your best thoughts. It's not even your empathy that's going to solve it. It's what the Lord has to say. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 1, where the Apostle Paul talked about the God of all comfort. That word comfort there is not talking about comfort like we think. We think comfort like fluffy pillows. But the comfort he's talking about was the strength, the encouragement that kept him from quitting when he thought he was going to die. He said, the Lord, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we might comfort you with the same comfort we've been comforted with so that you can go and comfort somebody else. God is the God of all comfort. You want to sustain somebody that's weary? What does the Bible say? It says, lift up the hands that hang down. It says that there are, there, are, there are joints that are about to be put out of joint. There are limbs that are about to be put out of joint. It says strengthen the hands that hang down. Strengthen those limbs that are about to be put out of joint. So they wouldn't be put out of joint, but they'd be healed. Let the weak, let the strong help the weak and bear the burdens of the weak. If we've got weak around us, if we've got people that are this close to quitting, what they need to hear from you is a word from the Lord. I'm not necessarily saying a thus says the Lord, you should move to Edmonton. I'm saying there are times where we just say, if I don't have anything to say, I know I can speak from the word of God and have something for you. But I know I can also hear. And the Lord will give me the right words to say at the right time. And it's easy to say things like, well, you know, I've been, we've all been through it. You'll get through it. And that's nice, but... When someone's this close to breaking, when someone's weary, when someone's this close to quitting, what they need is not a word of sympathy. What they, sometimes people need sympathy, but that's really not what's going to strengthen them for the rest of the journey. What they need is a word from God. What they need is the comfort that God alone can give. What they need is the strength that comes from Him. He says, Lord, awaken my ear morning by morning that I might hear, so that I might speak. My tongue will be the tongue of the learned, the tongue of someone who's taught, the tongue of a disciple, so that I might sustain the weary one with a word. Praise God. In 2015, we have been given an opportunity to see the harvest like we've never seen it before. But in that opportunity, there's probably more opposition and will be more opposition than we're used to. As the body of Christ, with great, there, there may be great sin around us, but there is great glory. We know that there may be great trouble, but there is great encouragement in Christ. 
And never before has it been so important that we know the right word for the right season. Now, whether you've been born again for three weeks or you've been born again for 40 years, let's all say this, and I don't mean to say it out loud right now, but let's, let's make this our prayer. Lord, train my mouth. Restrain my tongue when it needs to be restrained and loose it when it needs to be loosed. Wake up my ears. Because when I speak, all I hear are my thoughts, and I'd rather hear your thoughts. Sometimes that requires you having an awkward conversation where you say, I don't have an opinion about that. I haven't prayed about that. I haven't studied that out. I don't know. I don't know is not, that's, those aren't swear words. That's okay. I don't know. I don't know but I know the one who does. You know, I, I learned this, and, and it, it helped you too. Sometimes people come to you for advice, and they say, I don't know what to do, and you don't know what to do, and you could just tell them something. But instead, if you don't know what to do, you don't know what they should do, grab their hand and say, let's pray together right now. Why don't you and me pray, and we're going to ask the Lord what you should do. You'd be amazed what God can do in those situations. Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things you don't know. Amen? Stand up with me tonight, this morning. We haven't preached that long.